is up, guys. Stirring testimonies abound, and Awkwardly. All right. Hello, friends. Please, you can go on to the uh, the main slide there. Have you ever had a weekend where afterwards you refer to it as best weekend ever? Best weekend ever. Here are my characteristics of a best weekend ever. First of all, friends must be involved in some form or fashion. You gotta do something that you really like at some point. The key is something totally unexpected has to happen, right? Something that's just like totally crazy and bizarre or like the funniest thing you've ever seen in your life. And uh, at one point or at multiple points, you laugh so hard that you could cry. Just a few months ago, just a few short months ago, I had a weekend that fit into this category. So uh, I got together with some friends. We headed up to Richmond, Virginia, which is near where I went to college. And the first uh, important thing that happened is that we got in the car and drove somewhere, okay? Well, this is later, but you get the point. You know, you're in the car, and like you got the iTunes playlist that you made for that road trip, and you're like singing, and you get a little hoarse, and you're dancing, but it's hard because you're sitting down, hopefully. And. You're just feeling it, right? So the ride up there was really fun. Sorry, this is kind of distracting for me as well, y'all, I'm sure. And uh, so the drive up there was really fun. We did some things that I really like. We played basketball. In fact, I need to, I need to time out here and say that one of, one of the people who came to the best weekend ever in my life is here, ladies and gentlemen, tonight. Embarrassed right there with the 20 ACL. So uh, the unexpected thing that happened is that she tore ACL when we were playing basketball. So that was sad, and not, it, was, it was sad right when it happened, and then funny like three minutes after that. Um, and uh, so we played basketball, we listened to music, we ate really good food, and it snowed like crazy. Show us Liz. It snowed like crazy, oh my gosh, it was so much snow. We got more snow in Richmond than we got here that weekend. Remember when it snowed like every weekend for a while? That was weird. I don't know, but anyways, um, so it snowed a lot, and then we had the brilliant idea, because we're like, we gotta go play in the snow, that we need to get pool toys to play in the snow, because no one sells, I mean, all the sleds had already been bought, right? Because it's winter, and it already snowed like 200 times or whatever. So we're like, oh, we'll totally just go get pool toys and blow them up, and that was a good idea. So this is us, <laughs> blowing it up. And uh, then we were able to use the pool toys on the snow. Now that's me. Got my hands behind my head, just chilling, going down the hill, just chilling. And uh, that was fun. And when we got to pose afterwards, oh, look at us. Good times. Best weekend ever. Legendary. People tore their ACLs. We bought pool toys in the winter. We laughed a lot. We. Uh, we ate good food, we listened to good music. Best weekend ever. 
Now, this weekend, my friends, has a pretty good chance to be a pretty darn good weekend for the school. Am I right? You know what I'm saying? I don't want to talk about it too much. I don't want to talk about it too much. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm refraining from a Carolina joke right now. I'm just, I just refrain from it right there for you to put it. I'm just saying it could be a pretty good, this could be a darn good weekend. Right? Well, tonight I want to talk about the for real, for real, for real best weekend ever that puts this weekend to shame. That's going to put this weekend to shame as well. So let's pray. And I'm just going to invite God here. So join me. Jesus, we welcome you here. Lord, we welcome you to speak. Lord, I want to um, be able to worship you as I speak tonight. So um, we just ask you to come. And um, Lord, we want you to use your scripture to communicate to us and to use these words to communicate. So I pray, Lord, that what is of you would go down deep here and what is of me would fall away, would just fall to the ground. We pray this in your name. Amen. So first of all, let's talk about who all's in the room. It may feel like everybody knows each other. That's not true. In fact, we don't know each other at all. Um, and that's what tonight's all about, isn't it? So um, first of all, some of you guys are here for the very first time. You've never been in a varsity before. Somebody invited you. Somebody's been sort of tapping on the shoulder, right on your Facebook wall, texting you, asking you to come. And I just want to say welcome. I also want to say thank you for taking a risk for coming somewhere that you've never been. Thanks. Some of you guys may have been around a couple times, but you've never been to a large group. Maybe you've played Frisbee with us. Maybe you've gone to a small group Bible study like Bean was talking about. Um, but this is your first time in a large group. Welcome. Maybe uh, you guys came to the last Invitational Large Group that we did in the fall. If you did, welcome back. And maybe you guys come to everything we do, and you were here at Large Group last week, and you already know me and whatever, but I'm going to say welcome to you anyways. I'm here. Welcome. Um, as for me, my name is Allison. Some people call me Ace. Um, I'm on staff with Invitational Large It just feels such a stupid nickname to be like, some people call me Ace, but it's whatever. You can call me that if you want, uh, or you can call me Allison. Um, uh, I'm on staff of university here at Duke, so you can think of me as kind of like an advisor for this group, or maybe like a shepherd if you're into uh, biblical imagery. Um, my official title is like campus minister, campus staff member. So, um, so welcome. One thing I want to do tonight is to try to speak to everybody in the room. Christians, I bet you thought that you were going to get off the hook tonight, because you're like, well, I'm just going to show up and like listen to them talk about the gospel. I'm going to talk to you tonight. People who aren't Christians wouldn't consider themselves Christians. I'm going to hopefully speak to you tonight. And if you don't want to categorize yourself, I'm going to speak to you tonight too. So, you will have a chance to respond at the end of the night. Can I go with the wireless mic? Do you mind? Okay. Reminds me of my freestyling days. Um, I never had them. That's the best part. I never had them. Okay, which you guys should be grateful for. So, um, anyways, where? What's going on here? Here we go. So, I'm going to hopefully talk to everybody in the in the room tonight. And the strips of cloth, which I've tied around my water bottle, which hopefully all of you have, just hold on to those. I'll explain more about what's going on with that. Okay. So, best weekend ever. Best weekend ever. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to start with good 
Friday. So if you have like, if you actually use paper calendars, I don't know if any of y'all do, um, it probably says Good Friday on there. Tonight is Good Friday. Maybe the person that invited you said, yeah, we're gonna talk about Good Friday and what that means. So um, that's the first place we're gonna start. We're gonna start with Good Friday of the best weekend ever. We're gonna zoom in on Good Friday and uh, start, with, start with that. We're gonna look at three places in scripture tonight and uh, sort of talk about the whole best weekend ever. And all these scriptures are coming from um, the book of John, the gospel of John, or you could think of it as a biography of Jesus written by John, one of Jesus's followers. Because uh, the Bible broken up into two big parts, Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament, God preparing the Jewish people for Jesus. That's the whole Old Testament. New Testament, birth, life, death, resurrection of Jesus and his followers trying to figure out life afterwards. All you need to know is the whole Bible hinges on who Jesus is and what he does Easter weekend. The whole Bible is building to that place, turns the corner after Jesus and, um, and changes how we think, Jesus changes how we respond and follow him after Easter weekend. So tonight I want you to pay close attention to who Jesus is, what he's doing. More importantly, I want you to pay close attention to the people around him. How are people responding to Jesus? That's what I want you to really focus in on tonight. So like I said, it's coming from the biography of John that John written, John wrote. And let me kind of set it up because we're starting in John 19 and 20. So that means the story's been going on for a little bit. To set the context here, John started off his biography explaining Jesus's relationship with God the Father. Jesus starts putting his small group together. He starts writing on people's Facebook walls. He gets his tag, I'm just, he didn't have Facebook. Um, there's this ragtag group of people that he pulls together, uh, mostly common fishermen. Jesus starts performing miracles. Things are going crazy, water's turning into wine. People are being raised from the dead, it's crazy. Tension begins to build between the religious leaders of the time and Jesus. And what we have right here is, right before this passage, tension has built to a peak when religious authorities hand Jesus over to political authorities and assert that he is wrongly calling himself the Son of God. So our first place that we're resting tonight to talk about the best weekend ever comes from John 19, 16 through 24. Follow along with me up there. Finally, Pilate, who's the dude in charge, handed him, Jesus, over to them to be crucified. The them there is the soldiers. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him. And with him, two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but this man claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I've written, I've written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares. One for each of them with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. 
Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lots who will get it. This happens. This happens. This happens. So that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, They divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. So this is what the soldiers did. On Good Friday, scene one of the best weekend ever. The story opens and Jesus is brutally beaten and killed. Crucified, actually. According to verse 19, he is charged with high treason. The penalty for this? Crucifixion. Crucifixion was the Roman method of capital punishment, usually reserved for slaves or revolutionaries. So there were vertical posts just outside of town reserved for this purpose. And when Jesus was convicted, he was beaten, and his hands were stretched out and attached by nails, not string, to a horizontal beam. He, along with the other two criminals charged that day, were dragged out to the vertical posts. The vertical posts were attached to the horizontal, and Jesus eventually suffocated because he couldn't hold his head up anymore. Crucifixion was not a quick death. Jesus' life came to a gradual end, and there he died. It was a brutal way to die. And that's what we're gathering to remember tonight, Good Friday of the best weekend ever. On Good Friday, Jesus was betrayed, wrongly accused of treason, beaten, and eventually killed. At this point, you might be like, what? Why is this the best weekend ever again? Why would we call this Good Friday? It all has to do with who Jesus was. You see, plenty of people have suffered horrible deaths. Deaths that happen gradually over time. Life slowly escaping as cancer ravages their body. People have suffered, right? We can think of people that have suffered slow, painful deaths. I bet you could name lots of people who were wrongly accused of stuff. Who were, um, who people said they did something and they were completely innocent. People have even been killed unfairly. But nobody, nobody has ever suffered like this. Nobody has ever been humiliated to this degree. I don't just mean that Jesus' death was like the goriest ever. It was uncomfortably gory, nails and hands and such, but it doesn't end with that. Good Friday is horrifically sad because that was God there. What gives significance to this death in particular is that it was God's son who was beaten and killed. Let's go back to the passage. This time I want to zero in on verse 23 and 24. Soldiers gamble for Jesus' clothes. That's what that means by cast lots. And John included this detail. This happened that the scriptures might be fulfilled. The Bible is one big story. There's a big narrative going on, even within lots of smaller books. The big story is about God inviting us into relationship with him. Is there a big story to your life? Are you just living it in a lot of little pieces? Is there anything that pulls it all together? Makes sense of it all? The story of God relating to us fits together in one big piece. We can look at parts of the story, but we always have to keep the big picture in mind. So the place that we're looking at here is that the soldiers who are carrying out their orders to kill Jesus are fulfilling earlier scriptures. John is simply saying that this part of the story connects to earlier parts of the story. It's kind of like, kind of, 
looking at one picture in a Facebook album. Sometimes that picture can stand alone and is entertaining or intriguing or informational in itself, right? But sometimes that picture is part of a bigger story of the Facebook album. And clearly we must name the Facebook album from either song lyrics, I do it too, or inside jokes from the weekend that only the people in pictures get and it's so hilarious, right? So if you just look at one picture, sometimes it makes sense, but it's really helpful to see the whole album, right? So the Bible is one big story, one big photo album that's happening. So if the whole Bible is about God inviting us into a relationship with him, Jesus perfectly exhibits that invitation. John reminds us in the beginning of his biography that Jesus is God. He is in perfect relationship with his father. He is fully human and fully divine. And over and over again, Jesus, in the Bible, Jesus makes his relationship with God clear. God is his father. He is God's son. He acts just like his father. He has his father's personality. He moves around on earth just like God, just like his dad. Jesus does not give us the option to think that he is just a wise teacher or a political rebel. Jesus makes it clear. He is intricate, intricately connected to God. He is God's son. Take it or leave it. Earlier I said that the whole Bible hinges on who Jesus is and what he does in the best weekend ever, right? But so far, this is a pretty bizarrely sad story. As one Christian writer says, the life of Jesus Christ is not a triumph, but a humiliation, not a success, but a failure, not a joy, but suffering. Sort of seems like the opposite of how it should be. So why did Jesus have to die? When Jesus suffers on the cross, he is exhibiting, demonstrating, truly living out how we suffer when we are not in relationship with God. We kind of know what this suffering is like, don't we? We see evidence of this all around. We see famine. We see wars. We see divorce disease, conflict, natural disasters. We also see evidence that life is not right within ourselves. Jealousy, comparison, impatience, cheating, gossip. Anytime we're hurt by others or hurt others ourselves, we experience a little bit of suffering. We weren't created to experience suffering. That's why it stinks so bad. We weren't made for it. Another way to say all this is that the world is broken by sin. And we experience that every day. We perpetrate sin. We cause harm to others. We are the victims of sin. Others cause harm to us. The good behind Good Friday is that God would allow himself to suffer just like we do. This is God we're talking about. Creator of the universe, God. All-knowing. All-powerful. Jesus was wrongly accused. He suffered emotional loss. His friends turned against him. He was beaten up. He suffered physically. He suffered just like we do anytime something's not right. But because he's the son of God, his suffering is even worse. He doesn't even deserve it. Because remember, Jesus is God. He is so good and so great that it's impossible for him to do wrong. Our sin, us choosing ourselves instead of God, prevented us from knowing him fully. From being in relationship with him. And so on Good Friday, Jesus takes our place. He puts himself in the gap between us and God. 
And only he can do this because he's fully God, fully human. He suffers like we do and absorbs the suffering we inflict upon others, but his load is much heavier than ours. As Karl Barth says, who I will quote quite often, you should too, what do we know of evil and sin? What do we know of what's called suffering or what death means? Here we get to know it. He means at the cross, that's the definition of evil, sin, suffering, and death. We think we kind of know what that stuff is. We have no idea. So let's pick up where we left off, Friday afternoon. Good Friday, okay? Next passage here. This is um, just a little bit later in John. Follow with me. Later, knowing that everything had now been fulfilled and so that scripture would be fulfilled, there it is again, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Catch this. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs at the place where Jesus was crucified. There is a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was a Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. So Jesus, God, Son of God, dies. Then we have details about his burial, right? See, normally when people were crucified back then, there was just a big open grave that they threw the body in. But for Jews, like Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus mentioned here, it was too horrible a thought to not have a proper burial. This was an important act of love for them to make sure he was buried according to Jewish customs. At this point, it's really important to know more about who Nicodemus is. What else do you know about him? John says that he came to Jesus at night. Earlier in the biography of John, Jesus and Nicodemus had a conversation. From Nicodemus's viewpoint, this conversation was pretty confusing. In fact, for Nicodemus, it seems like he ended up with more questions than when he started. This is often the case when we're getting to know Jesus. Every answered question raises 10 new ones. But by the end of John's biography, we see that Nicodemus is still relating to Jesus. And I'm here to say tonight that this continues to be true even after you've been following Jesus for a while. There are still a lot of things that confuse me about God, about the Bible, about Jesus, and about myself. But I think the key may be staying on the journey. The key may be to not be deterred, to keep pursuing who God really is. This passage is evidence that Nicodemus does this. He keeps chasing after God. He shows up to care for Jesus' dead body and prepare him for burial. He brings a lavish gift, 75 pounds he brings myrrh, which was used for embalming. He brings aloes, which was perfumes for the body. And uh, we find out that they've got to hurry because they've got to get this done before sundown in order to follow Jewish law. We know they're in a hurry because they only use strips of linen to wrap Jesus' body. As you can go to the next one, I'm going to just kind of zero in on those, um, on those verses. Thanks. So here they use strips of linen. See, a wealthy Jew 
would have put Jesus' body in a shroud, an expensive and extensive piece of fabric. But here they just used strips of linen. We also learn that no one had ever been laid in this tomb before. Joseph and Nicodemus treat Jesus with a special honor. Also, this detail means that it's hard to imagine that Jesus' tomb would be confused with others nearby. Here's an important point. Jesus is dead. Nicodemus and Joseph definitely think he's dead. They're burying him. Dying is exhausting the last of the possibilities given to us. It's the end of it all. You can't do much when you're dead. Then to be buried just sort of seals the deal, right? (laughs) Burying a body is to hand the body over to the natural process of decay. It's to help us start living the life without that person. We're acknowledging that they're no longer with us. Their body is dead. Burying is to start moving on from death. Sit in that moment for a minute. Put yourself in their place. This guy, who Nicodemus clearly admired and respected, is now dead. He's doing his best to treat Jesus lovingly by wrapping his body in strips of linen. He's also in a hurry. They've got to place the body in the tomb and move a heavy stone over the entrance. They're actually just like closing the casket. In burying Jesus, the challenge now is to start life without Jesus around. They literally buried God. Literally. Have you buried God? Is he dead to you? Have you given up hope of knowing who he is? Maybe you used to wonder about God, but now you're all wrapped up in other stuff. Maybe something start, Maybe something happened, or is happening now, where God doesn't seem to show up. Maybe it feels like he isn't around. Maybe it feels like he's dead and buried. Go to that moment. What's that moment feel like? My guess is sad. So is this moment in John's biography. It's just sad. Man, it is sad. Jesus is dead. Nicodemus had to bury God. Are Christians making a joke when we nickname or when we call this Good Friday? Are we like trying to be ironic and funny like when you see a really big guy and you're like, there's Tiny over there? Are we trying to name something the opposite of what it really is? the best weekend ever, right? Not just the best Friday night. Well, the only reason, my friends, Good Friday is good is because of what happens next. Our whole understanding of what happened on Friday night is clarified by Sunday's events. Hit it. Early on, first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter, he, and reached the tomb first. John's got jokes. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. This changes everything. The tomb is empty. 
Jesus's body, which Nicodemus had laid in the tomb on Friday night, is not there on Sunday morning. Best weekend ever. This story does not end on Friday night. Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb very early on Sunday morning. We can assume to continue prepping Jesus's body for burial since they were in a rush, right? She finds out that the stone has been moved. Nobody would have guessed. Nobody knew this was going to happen. They didn't get it. Nobody would have guessed that Jesus's body wouldn't be in the tomb. The only thing Mary can figure is the stone in front of the tomb was moved by grave robbers and they, somebody has taken Jesus's body and put it somewhere. In a panic, she goes to find some of Jesus's good friends. Someone's taken Jesus's body. And we have this like beautiful scene of the members of Jesus' small group sprinting, running up to the tomb, racing each other, but still running. Right? Awesome. And when they get there, they come across the unexpected because they're fearing the worst. The tomb is empty. Jesus has risen from the dead. There is now a completely new story of humankind. Jesus' resurrection from the dead brings a new shape to the world. The old world has been completely done away with. This is where the traditional images associated with Easter fall short. If you like walk up into Walgreens or whatever, you see lots of symbols of spring associated with Easter, right? Flowers, some bunnies, green grass, sun shining, birds singing, squirrels offering you jelly beans. But these symbols don't communicate the truth of what actually happened. All is made new. When spring comes, summer's coming, fall's coming, winter's coming. There's a cycle. Spring is actually temporary. But that's not what's going on here with Jesus' resurrection. All is made new. Nothing about this is temporary. Human history has turned the corner. We're now moving in a different direction. There is no cycle. You might be asking, well, don't we hear of other stories in the Gospels where Jesus brings people back to life? Isn't that kind of like this? There are three other places. In fact, you're right. There are three other places where people were dead and Jesus brings them back to life. In these instances, these people's bodies are simply given life again. And eventually they died for real, for real. So they came back to life and then they for real, for real died. What we see here is that in the resurrection, Jesus' body isn't just given life again. It's actually transformed. And we need this kind of resurrection to not just be a resuscitation of Jesus, because then he could die again. But on Easter Sunday, Jesus' actual body is transformed and resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of the Father. This is important because we need Christ to be transformed and therefore never die in order to make our salvation complete. We need Christ to not just be resuscitated, but to be transformed so that we can enjoy life with God. The Christian salvation is dependent on Jesus' resurrection on the Sunday of the best weekend ever. And now, just as Jesus cannot die and enjoy, enjoys an ongoing relationship with God forever, we too cannot die and enjoy an ongoing relationship with him forever. All we have to do is tie ourselves to this story. All we have to do is tie ourselves to this story. Sin can no longer cause mischief. We don't have to fear it anymore as followers of Jesus. God pulls up sin and suffering by its root with the death and resurrection of Jesus. Sin is totally destroyed from its source. 
By identifying in, by believing in Jesus' work on the cross, it sets us right with God. And that's why Jesus can say in verse 1930, it is finished. There, when he's up on the cross and he dies, he says, it's finished, it's done, over, all game. There is no more work for him or you or I to do in order to be in relationship with God. Sin can no longer get in the way of knowing who God is because Jesus has stepped in on our behalf. Or, as my homeboy and should be yours, Karl Barth says, we are no longer addressed and regarded by God as sinners who must pass under judgment for their guilt. We have nothing more to pay. He goes on to say, the goal is that you are transferred to another status in law. That means that your position, your condition, your legal status as a sinner is rejected in every form. You are no longer seriously regarded by God as a sinner. Whatever you may be, whatever there is to be said of you, whatever you have to reproach yourself with, yourself, sorry, with, God no longer takes you seriously as a sinner. You have died to sin there on the cross of Golgotha. You no longer, you are no longer present for sin. You are acknowledged before God and established as a righteous person, as one who does right before God. Not only is Jesus' body not in the tomb, John goes to great pains to describe the strips of linen lying where Jesus' body should be. I think I messed up the, yeah, there it is. Okay, all right. All right. He. He uses two sentences, in fact, to go on and on about the strips of linen. In the absolute key moment of all human history, our boy John is going on and on and on about the strips of linen lying there. Why? Well, we lose a little bit of the original meaning of this, right, when we translate from Greek to English, because the biography of uh, John was originally written in Greek. And it says that the strips of linen were folded or rolled neatly into place. This is a significant detail, my friends, because remember that Jesus was Jewish. One way to read these verses is that Jesus was trying to communicate something significant by leaving the strips of linen folded neatly in the tomb. In Jewish households at mealtime, the slaves would watch the master of the household carefully to gauge when to do their job. If the master of the house threw the linen that he was kind of using as a napkin on the table, the servants knew that he was done eating and they could start clearing the table. But if he folded up the napkin and laid it on the table, it meant that he wasn't done. He's going to come back to finish. The strips of linen lying in the empty tomb, carefully folded, were to communicate that Jesus is coming back, that he is not done. He was telling his followers, there's still work to do. Ultimately, he was inviting us into the redemption of the world. So we've covered a lot tonight talking about the best weekend ever. But a key piece of the life of Jesus is that it isn't a story to just be admired. It invites our participation. All throughout the big story of God's work on earth, he invites us to respond. We're asked to participate. So tonight, I'm going to ask you all to participate, to respond to what you've heard. This is where the strip of cloth you were given comes in. Does everybody have one, by the way? Christians, I'd like to speak with you first. 
It's easy for us to forget that we need to keep responding to Jesus. Accepting his work on our behalf is not just a one-time decision, is it? It's not just a one-time decision. We grow up in Christ. We have to keep making the decision to acknowledge what he did on Easter weekend for us and for the glory of God. So for the Christians, where do you need to trust that his work in your life is not done? Is there something that's going on with you that you're just like, well, that's dead? What do you think is dead that he might be trying to raise? Where do you need to remember that he's coming back, that his work's not done? If that's you, why don't you take your strip of cloth? I want you to like fold it neatly as best you can. Stand up. And um, I want you to like, if you're down here, you can just put it on the stage here. You're up in those seats. So I want you to move toward an aisle and just place it on the floor in the aisle. Now, Christians, we set the tone, okay? So uh, no pressure. There's no really, there really is no pressure. But uh, I just want to, if you have to like climb over people, isn't that what it's like to follow Jesus? Like sometimes things are in your way. Sometimes it's a little awkward. We're embracing that tonight, all right? So Christians, think about if there's a place that you need to just like remember that God has not finished that work. That he's coming back. All right, if you can see yourself, go to the next one, Liz. If you can see yourself in Mary Magdalene or Peter, has Jesus been dead to you up until now? Are you ready to acknowledge that Jesus' suffering and death is in place of your own? Will you receive the life with God that Jesus' resurrection offers? Do you need to make your identity with Jesus public for the first time or for the first time in a long time? Would you like to live by, for, and through Jesus' work on Easter weekend? If that's you, we're going to have a little bit of time here. Just like a couple minutes. just want you to tie the strip of cloth around your wrist as a way to acknowledge that you are tying yourself to Jesus' work. That you buy into that. Some of you guys have decided to follow Christ and you just haven't like told a lot of people. Now's your chance. Now's your chance to make a public statement about that. Just tie it around your wrist. Some of you guys need to take that step. What if you can see yourself in Nicodemus? Do you simply need to hear more? Do you need more interactions with Jesus to make an informed decision? We want you to keep your strip of cloth and we want you to put it in a visible space. Um, you can tie it on your book bag. You can like put it around your cell phone if you're hardcore. You can, um, you can put it in your dorm room somewhere. Right? You can bring it to the post-large group discussions that we're having Monday or Wednesday night. You can bring it with you as a way to kind of remember to go to that. You can give it to your friend who came tonight as a way to say, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of interested, I want to learn more, and I just want to commit in some form or fashion, in a small way, to staying on the journey. A few points of clarification before we get going with this. Like I said, there's going to be just a few minutes, like three or four, to think this over. We're not trying to manipulate manipulate you tonight at all. This is a place of freedom. So there's no pressure to participate. All we ask is that you just be honest with God and honest with yourself. A pressured, self-conscious response is not an honest response and we're not interested. So don't feel pressured to do anything. But if God's doing something, do something. 
Second, doing stuff like this is not a guarantee of change. It's simply a symbol. It points to a deeper thing happening. So take a few minutes to think about this, respond to Jesus, work on the best we can ever, and uh, after a few minutes, I'm going to pray. So that can be your, kind of your, your sign that the time is over. in this moment we um, we recognize we stop we say that the whole story is really good parts of the story really stink but when the whole story comes together it's really good and, and Lord we recognize that the story is not done that you're calling us to more so I pray that, um, that what people did just now would stick that you would jog it to their memory later tonight maybe early tomorrow morning maybe on Sunday but we don't want to just do something. We, we, we want to do and live differently and live better. 
So we pay the white. Whatever you just did, Lord, they would stick. You pay this in your name. Amen. All right. I just want to take a minute to recognize what just happened. Those of us that are Christians believe that our internal lives have ramifications for our external lives. What I mean by that is what goes on inside of us plays into what happens on the outside of us and vice versa. Some of y'all have just made a really important decision tonight. You decided to tie your identity to Jesus Christ. You're no longer just yourself. Y'all are tied together. And you recognize that what happened on Good Friday and Easter weekend was on your behalf. If you did that tonight, I'd like to ask you to make a bold move. I just want you to raise your hand. If you tied around your wrist, can you just raise your hand? If you need... <laughs> All right, wait for it. We'll celebrate in a minute. Wait for it. Let me, let me tell you why, why I just asked you to do that. It wasn't just so we could be like, oh, who did it, blah, blah, You need to get in the habit of making it public. You can start that habit tonight. All right? Um, so, yeah, do it again. Sorry, I messed that up. Do it again. Can you raise your hand again? All right, let's take a cheer. great awesome more mansions needed in heaven more mansions needed angels going nuts all right let's talk about how you can keep responding um as lizzie mentioned you're gonna need a pen um and there's a piece of paper on your desk you need a pen if you do not have a pen can you raise your hand okay keep raising it raise it high okay I like how everyone starts talking. Okay, so take a look at the paper taped to your desk. And um, if you can put it up on the screen, Liz, that'd be awesome. Now, a couple of options, my friends. So the, the cloth thing was sort of for you to respond. And this paper thing is sort of for us to hear how you responded. Okay, so the cloth thing was something going on with you, this community, and the, and the paper is for us to know what just happened. So if you can see yourself in Nicodemus... There's a few options there. How the pin situation? All right. If you can see yourself in Nicodemus, you'll see an option there called Groups Investigating God. These are for people who, um, who aren't Christians, who are curious about Jesus and are interested in reading the Bible with a Christian. Groups Investigating God, or gigs, as we call them, allow space for you to ask questions about what you've read and try to figure out who, what Jesus means to you. Gigs are for people at any stage. If you're interested in hearing more, just circle that on the paper and let us know. Okay, so if you're a Nicodemus, you're just like, I need to hear more about who Jesus is. I've never thought about this before or I'm starting to think about it more. That's a place you can check. We'll follow up with you. You can also check in, I have questions about God or what I heard tonight. Would like to talk to someone. Like I said, there's going to be a discussion group um, next week, you can go to ask questions and talk about what you've heard. And um, those are on Monday and Wednesday nights. So you can go to either one or both. I guess you can choose one or both if you're an all-star already. If you can see yourself in Mary Magdalene or Peter, if you just tied that thing around your wrist, we really would like to um, celebrate with you. And so you can check, I want to become a Christian for the first time, or I want to recommit my life to Jesus. Or that can be, you can cross it out and put past tense because you already did that. Bam. Awesome. 
Um, and also, we just want to know like how to be in touch with you if you want to be on the server and all that kind of stuff. Okay.